We normally, when we look back, we kind of only look back at the year. But as I had shared a couple of weeks ago, that we, we wanted to look back at a DNA. And that is, what is the core of our church? When, when you look back at your own personal family, you're always going to find some unique things. Like, if you look back at our church, there's eight daughter churches around the region that find their uh, family of origin here. There's two granddaughter churches and there's seven or more great-granddaughter churches. So there's, we know of at least 17 churches that are worshiping today that kind of find their family roots here. We, we think that's exciting. We think it's also unique that we're a Baptist church and it was two sweet Methodists that gave us our property. I, I think maybe they felt bad for us. They were kind of like, well, we got a Methodist church. We think we should have a Baptist church. And they're the ones who gave the property to us. No, they didn't attend here. They just gave us the property. We look back over our church and there's always unique stories. One of my favorite happened a number of years ago. It was January 11th, just a day before my birthday. It happened to be in a different year, 1885. And I have no idea what was going on, but we stopped public worship. In fact, there was a motion in our church. It's on record in the deacon's minutes. Here's what the motion said. On motion, Brother Rugg, that's a great one, seconded by Maud Baker, that's a good one, it was voted to have no more singing until the young people were willing to come forward and to do their duty. Now, I have no idea really who young people are. I mean, to be honest with you, I've seen 70-year-olds talk to 60-year-olds and call them young bucks. So I don't know if it was a couple 70-year-olds looking at a couple of 50-year-olds telling them to get their acts together. But for whatever reason, we publicly, I have no idea how long this lasted, but we decided to not have any public worship. I just want you to know we're not taking that motion this morning. When you look back at our church, there's also the sweet expansion from one-eighth of the block to one-quarter of the block to one-half of the block. A number of years ago, back in the 90s, we moved to the entire block. And then by God's grace, six years ago, we bought almost the entire north block of us. When you look back at the expansion of our church, you'll be surprised as I was to discover that it was this church that helped start the Union Gospel Mission. It was this church that brought young life to Salem. It was this church that has planted over 400 churches with our missionary friends in DR and Haiti and beyond. It was this church, some folks in this church that were on a fishing trip on the Al Sea that began to brainstorm and dream with a, a man by the name of Don Smith and said, you know what? I think we can build a university in Kenya. And today, Daystar is one of the largest Christian universities in Africa. Where did that come from? It was birthed by faith while fishing. I'm not much of a fisherman. In fact, I'm not one at all. So I think anything good coming out of fishing is a miracle. <laughs> when I look back on this church, I also see not just unique things, but I see other things that revealed the heart and the DNA of this church. If you were to look at that page, uh, uh, kind of the scope of what has happened, some of the things in, in page five, you'll see, as I did, that this church has always had a heart for missions. All the way back into the 1870s and 80s, 
Now, if you were of Asian descent here in this area, it was not easy. You could not own personal property, could not buy things, could not vote. You, you virtually had no rights. In fact, there were uh, 34 in a large massacre of Chinese immigrant workers that were killed. No one was held accountable. They didn't arrest anyone. Uh, you would think it was a bunch of, you know, just lawless folks running around. But in the midst of that, there were two women. And you should always know the history of these two women. Mrs. Kenny and Mrs. Baker. And they felt it was wrong to treat the Asians, the Chinese migrant workers that way. And so they started a mission and they started teaching them English. And they actually created a legitimate mission and sent missionaries up to Washington and to Washington State or to uh, Washington, D.C. and also to China. When you look back at our church, you're going to see in 1949, there was a couple that we partnered with. Zeril and Duretta. And we sent them, and we've been partnering with them ever since. Duretta's still here in our church. Well over 400 churches that Zeril and Duretta and their mission oversaw. Missions has always been something in our church, but not just overseas. For those of you who are alive in 1970, 1972 in particular, what was happening in 1972 internationally? Vietnam War. What was the perspective in the United States of Vietnamese? Not good. And I wonder what kind of courage it took in 1972 for a group of people in our church to open a ministry of adoption to refugees from Vietnam and to adopt them, bring them into the church, graft them into the church, help them succeed in this area in an era where virtually everyone out on the street was hating Vietnam. We've always had a heart for missions across the street and around the world. We've lived with an open hand Meaning we've planted 17 plus churches, we've invested in them, we've cared for them, we've began ministries like Upward that reaches not just 700 people from our church, but students from the city. Our skills camp this year for over 550 students, 178 of them have no attendance or record of attendance and association with any church. We've always had a heart for the city. But we've also understood where we live. This was 30 years ago. It was documented. We understand, and I quote, we understand that we don't live in the Bible Belt. <laughs> I love that. 30 years ago, they knew Oregon was a pagan nation. But here's what they wrote. And I can't think of a better prophetic sentence to us. In order to meet the challenge of our rapidly changing culture, our ministry will need to be flexible, adaptable, while never moving from its biblical foundation. My friends, I think God has answered their prayers because it's exactly where the church is at. And I think in large part because we're living in the DNA of those that have gone before us. As we look back over our church history, it's easy to see uh, our commitment to missions um, around the world. And we want you to know that 
our commitment to missions is still strong. It's a vital part of our commitment, our vision to be a church for the city that reaches the world for Christ. In Mark's gospel, it records Jesus saying something really important. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So as we commit ourselves to missions, in a sense, we are committing ourselves to doing the very same thing that Jesus did, which was to serve. Jesus left a really comfortable place in heaven in order to come to earth and serve those that he loved. And we continue to to search out and to seek opportunities to do that very same thing. And that's important that we focus on serving others. Because if we're not careful, if we're honest, it becomes really easy to become self-focused, doesn't it? Because life is right in our face. Our problems are our problems. Because we're dealing with our gas prices and our school district and our political system. And if we're not careful, we can allow all these problems that are right in our face to cause us to kind of be focused on just us. But when we step out of ourselves and we serve in Jesus' name, in the way Jesus served, it refocuses us on a greater cause, on an internal mission to seek and to save the lost. Our global missions team has worked diligently to create a a robust short-term missions ministry that allows us to get out of our place of comfort and go into foreign territory so that we can serve. We can come alongside our partners in ministry that are slugging it out on the front lines. When we take these short-term trips, we are able to come alongside these these missionaries that maybe um, can be Come um, isolated or feel isolated because they're alone. And when we come to support them, it just really heartens and encourages them. And then while we're on the field, we obviously get opportunities to put our shoulder to the plow and to do some really good work, whether it's building a chapel or or leading a vacation Bible school or taking a prayer walk. Um, These short-term trips are so multifaceted and they allow us to kind of get our, our hands dirty, to roll up our sleeves and to serve in the name of Christ. This past year, we had two opportunities to do this. We had a group of of our folks um, on our Latin link team were able to go down and to to invest uh, time and energy to, to serve some missionary kids. While mom and dad were at a conference, these kids were, um, were tended to. Um, they were able to kind of spoil them with, with time and with some, some fun activities. Um, because sometimes those missionary kids can kind of be um, kind of neglected because mom and dad are, are so busy serving. Um, we had an opportunity to really love them in tangible ways. Then we also took a team to the Dominican Republic on our, on our family trip. And these trips over the years have really afforded us the opportunity to live out one of our our church values, which is to be a family-affirming trip. And while we're in the DR, it is so fun to watch parents serve alongside their their children, uh, to model for them what ministry looks like. It's so fun to watch mom share her testimony on Monday, and then on Thursday to watch her daughter share her testimony to her peers in vacation Bible school. How did she know how to do this? 
She watched her mom do it. It is so fun. God is doing unbelievable things through a myriad of ministry opportunities. Why? Because we're committed to it. We are committed to to missions. And we want to share with you a video right now of something neat that God is doing through um, a couple of our our missionary partners that are out on the field. We want to continue uh, to celebrate the, the good things that God is doing among us. So if you turn to pages 9 and 10 in your booklet you are going to see a bunch of numbers. Now, for some of you, this is speaking your language. For others, your eyes have already glazed over because you're not a numbers person. Why did we do this? Well, we think numbers help tell a story. We think numbers animate and bring to life abstract concepts in a way that is really powerful. Imagine if the Bible told the story of Jesus multiplying the loaves and fishes like this. One day, Jesus fed a bunch of people. Does that fire you up? That doesn't fire me up. That's not cool. You want to know what's cool? (laughs) Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fishes and fed over 5,000 people. Now that gets me excited. Numbers help animate stories. And as you look at these numbers, as you kind of peruse all the numbers on these two pages, we want three things to pop off the page. The first thing we want you to see is that we are a healthy church. Where do we see health? Well, we see it through growth. People are coming to Christ, at least 160 through our various ministry, 106 people came to Christ through our ministry, and we know there's more. We are seeing people join our church. We are seeing folks get baptized, and these are all signs of a healthy church Because healthy things grow. And we know this instinctively, right? When you plant your garden, you expect it to grow, showing you that your fruits and vegetables are are healthy. When you take your child to their yearly checkup, you hope and you expect that that child is on a healthy growth trajectory. Healthy things grow. And that's something we want to celebrate. We are a growing church. And as we grow and as we share these numbers with you, it is, it is not meant to be braggadocious at all. We have no desire to be the biggest church in Salem. But you know what we want to be? We want to be a growing church. And numbers represent people. And we are so excited to share with you these areas of growth that we're experiencing. The second thing we want you to see is generosity. When there is a need that arises in this church, it is unbelievable to see you guys rally and to generously give. We know that God loves a cheerful giver, and Salem First Baptist Church is full of cheerful givers. Your generosity has allowed us to support and encourage a wide range of people and a wide range of like-minded ministries throughout Salem over this past year. Whether it's giving through our deacons fund, through angel tree, through our rest stop, we have been able to tangibly meet needs that otherwise would have gone unmet. Because of you and because of your generosity, there were children that actually had a gift under the Christmas tree this year from a parent that was incarcerated. Because of your generosity, we have been able to help folks in our congregation pay off medical bills that otherwise would have overwhelmed them. And because of you and because of your generosity, we were able to help the Hope Pregnancy Center provide ultrasounds for abortion-vulnerable women. Without you, 
these bills would have gone unpaid. And some of these women would have not had the the resources available to help them make a decision to protect life. So we want you to see a generous church. And lastly, we want these numbers to help you see an externally focused church. An introverted church is a dying church. A church that just focuses on ourselves and our needs isn't functioning as salt and light. Because in order for us to be salt and light, we have to be in dark, unsalty places. And it's only in those external places that we are able to actually function as missionaries, to function as effective witnesses in a culture that is in desperate need of hope. Our skills camp is highlighted, upward basketball is highlighted, because these are two tangible expressions of our commitment to reach out into our community, to move toward our community, to build a bridge to them so we can share the gospel, and then we can create a pathway so they can get back over to us and engage with our body life in a sustainable, ongoing way. So I hope these numbers encourage you because when you look at them, you see a healthy church filled with generous people that are externally focused with the goal of seeing people come into a life-changing relationship with God and each other. So we put together a little video montage highlighting um, our past year in review. So enjoy uh, this video. Fasten your seatbelts. We are about to take a journey at 10,000 feet of our church. One year, not everything, but so much that you'll come away with a word that I use to describe this year. The extravagant power and love of God. Enjoy your flight. My word for this year would be rhythm. It's just been really exciting to see volunteers and our kids just get back and settled into a new normal. And rather than kind of just focusing on surviving and pivoting, we've just been able to focus on growth and thriving and just going a lot deeper with our kids on Sunday mornings, Wednesdays in our discipleship program, outreach events, seeing kids come to Christ and just grow in their relationship with Jesus. If I were to give Thrive a word for this last year, I'm going to go with rally. Just these kids as they've looked at the last year, coming back from all the craziness, the relationships that we've seen go deep, the resilience of being able to engage and hunger for God's word. And I'm excited for what's to come as, as that grows in them. And as we anticipate what God's going to do out of these last years. The word I'd use to describe our community groups is resilient. Our community group ministry is a vital piece of our adult discipleship plan. And it's one of the primary ways we break down a large congregation into smaller groups for the purpose of connection and relationship building. We've endured some significant obstacles over the past few years that in reality could have decimated this ministry. But our community groups continue to thrive even though we literally had to stop meeting for a time. What this shows me is that these smaller community groups are strong and stable, not because they share space together, but because they have shared their lives together. The word I would describe for women's ministry this last year is steadfastness, which means to endure patiently. The last few years have been a test. It's been a test in endurance. And are we going to continue moving forward one step at a time, even if it's slow? We've offered Bible studies, small groups, and slowly added back in some of those bigger events that we want to do more of this next year. And I am so excited and cannot wait to see where the Lord will lead us and what things he's going to have us do for this next year. Openness. It's a wonderful word. It's a wonderful thought. We began to see 
things opening up, even people opening up. Back about three, four months ago, we started knocking on doors again. We began to talk with people on the streets who are now willing to talk with us. And we're able to have great conversations with very hungry-hearted people. So in the last while, we've seen 16 people accept the Lord as their Savior. Some of them have come to church. Almost all of them we continue to have contact with. Openness. Thank the Lord for that. This has been a year when a lot of new things have happened and every step has been support, support, support from my team. Everything has felt like God's been there and so have the folks involved in this ministry and I'm very, very encouraged. The word I would describe for fusion for this past year is growth. Yes, numerically, but spiritually as well. We saw students step out of their comfort zone and invite friends that they would never have invited to Fusion before. And we saw students take ownership of their faith for the first time uh, this past year. I have the privilege of serving alongside a lot of great men in our church that encourage each other and build each other up and pray for one another. The faithfulness of our leaders have been just astounding of how they stuck with it and plowed through over the last year. You guys have heard some incredible stories about what God has done in our church over the past year. And that's only some of the stories. There is no better time than right now for you to jump on board and use the gifting that God has given you to advance the causes of Christ in Salem and the surrounding areas. Thank you so much to everyone that's been involved in making this past year incredible, and we cannot wait to see what God does next week. When we came to the conviction that we were going to be, and God has called us to be a church for the city that reaches the world for Christ, one of the challenges of that is you got to be able to figure out how to measure that and how to see, are we really? At the end of the day, we can call ourselves anything we want. We can call ourselves, you know, the best spa treatment in the century. But uh, if you don't have a way to measure these things. And so that's where gospel-centered, neighbor-loving, disciple-making, and culture-shaping came from. It should not be presumed at all that every church fulfills its desires. I don't know of a church out there that doesn't want to grow and doesn't want to see people come to Christ. The, the reality is, is only uh, the national average is only 1%. Meaning, if you have 100 people that attend your church, the national average is going to be you're going to see one person come to Christ. It's been that way for th over 30 years. And so when we say we want to be gospel-centered, and you're going to find the definitions of what those look like on pages 11 and 12, the goals where I will focus is on page 13 and 14 right now. It should not be uh, presumed at all that we're going to see people come to Christ unless we make it our intention. We understand God saves people. But I've just discovered that if you set no goals, you reach them. And if you set goals by God's grace, you reach them. And so this year and every year, we will have a 10% conversion growth rate. That will be our strategy and our, that will be our goal. And our strategy will always be very, very simple, you. Why? Because the vast majority of people, well over 90%, come to a church because of the invitation of a friend. The vast majority of people, when they come to Christ, can identify five people in their life that were Christians that were influencing them. And so it would only make sense in our high five strategy that we would use that to say, we want to partner with you, strengthen you, but we also realize that the statistics tell us that only 2% of people that are call themselves Christians share the gospel every year. Only 2%. So we have to improve that. 
I think it's much higher in our church. But the fact is, again, we don't want to presume that. That's why we're developing this curriculum and we're going to have it in various, it won't look all the same, but every one of our ministries will take very intentional time of developing the gospel, the communication of the gospel in leaders and in participants. And we will integrate the gospel in virtually every area of our church. Why? Because people don't come to Christ unless you set it as a goal. Secondly, is we want to be neighbor loving. Where does this come from? Well, it's straight out of the scriptures. Acts chapter 2, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 says, verse 16, let your light so shine before people that they see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. Acts says it this way. They were loving people and gained favor with people. So good deeds create good favor, gives us the opportunity to share the good news. What does that look like for our church? Well, we have a group of areas or some focal points, business, education, neighborhood, crisis, and family. Those are areas where we can just say, what is our strategy to love that area of our city? If you flip the page, page 15, we want to see 50% of our congregation members, participants, I don't care if you just attend here, you're not a member. We want to see you involved in what we call the good neighbor plan. Now, if you go back 50 years and somebody said, you're, that's all you're doing is a strategy? They would say, man, everyone's a good neighbor. Probably 50 years ago, everyone was a good neighbor. Now, we tend to go home, raise up our garage door, lower it when we go in, if we even leave to go to work anymore. And then we just lower it down. We don't know our neighbors. We don't know anything that's going on. We aren't praying for them. And so for this, it becomes a revolutionary strategy. What do you do? All you have to do is get on the church center app, go to good neighbor. You'll be able to download all of the information that we have here, take this home and just commit. And we're going to be asking you to do that to prayer walk, to identify, to get to know your neighbors, to invite them over to your home. Simple things that I think 50 years ago, pretty much everyone did. Nowadays, it's almost like we're anti-neighbor because we don't want them to ask us a question or our view on whatever the political hotbed issue is. In addition to that, flip the page over to page 16 and you're going to see Surf Salem. We started this a number of years ago. It's simply our way to say to our city, we love you. And we usually do about 19 to 20 different locations. It's going to be in August this year. We try and set a goal of three to 400 people who sign up, who blitz out into our neighborhood. Why do we do this? Good deeds creates good favor. And it gives us the opportunity to share the good news. In Neighbor Loving, we've adopted three schools, two public schools, our own Christian school. Why would we do this? Is because, yes, I mean, you probably have to be on Musk Island of uh, Mars if you didn't know that there's been some tension in the Salem-Kaiser School District. There's been some policies that, to be quite candid with you, we don't like. I don't like them. There's some of them that I think are abhorrent. But that doesn't mean we are given the option of walking away from our principals and our teachers and our students. There may be some things that we don't like. That doesn't give us the ability to condemn them. That doesn't give us the ability to walk away and say, ah, you can have it. Jesus never said, take them out of the world, Father. No, he said, leave them in the world. 
we adopted a couple of these schools and what does it look like? Well, we're, we're just in the embryonic stages. We paid for lunch for a couple of our different schools and in terms of just we bought their faculty lunch and I, I'm utterly amazed at the impact that just buying lunch for those teachers made for them. We're going to be doing different things for our school here also. We found out in our church that there was a school, one that we've adopted and we love, and we have some presence there through people in our church, um, that their marching band was not going to have a marching band season because the previous leadership kind of did some bad things and, and left it in disarray. And so they didn't have any marching band equipment, all the uniform. We found out about it. We went over and we gave them a check. We bought the entire set of the uniform. And we gave it to the, the principal and to the teacher who was a, uh, is a member of our church who was in an interim position now long term. And the astonishment of these students that thought, wow, we get to have marching band. You see, when you adopt and when you love people, it creates the opportunity, the platform literally to share the gospel. As you look through these, there's going to be strategies and goals in every one of them. Some of them are listed here. It's our intention to love our city so that we get the opportunity to share the gospel. Our next strategy is a, a commitment to being a disciple-making church. And as we look at this strategy, there's two fundamental questions that we've got to ask ourselves. First of all, what is a disciple? And secondly, how do you know when you made one? In the most simple of terms, a disciple is a person who is following Jesus, being impacted by his teaching, and motivated by his calling. And this might sound like a simple definition, but disciple-making is actually a quite complex concept because it's not a one-size-fits-all strategy. Sometimes, Jesus would huddle up his disciples and he would teach them in a formal setting. He had information that he wanted to share with them, so he delivered the Sermon on the Mount. Another time, Jesus huddled his disciples up and he said, hey guys, my identity's really important. We gotta nail this one. What's everyone saying about me behind my back? Who do people think that I am? Okay, great. Who do you think that I am? Because my identity is critical. There were some times that Jesus discipled in this more formal way of, of teaching and sharing information. So we will certainly be doing that as we strive to be a disciple-making church. We are going to continue to study God's word. We're going to see that in our community groups. We're going to see it in our small groups, in our men's and women's Bible studies. We are going to continue to study God's word so that we can think rightly about who God is and what our calling is in the world. But disciple-making cannot merely be informational. It has to also be transformational. As Jesus was calling his disciples, he said, Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You see, Jesus wanted his followers to be fundamentally different when he was done with them than when he started. He wanted them to have new hearts, new values, and a new mission which is to seek and save the lost, to become fishers of men. So sometimes discipleship's gonna happen in a classroom, but it will also happen in the living room as we share lives together. Sometimes it will happen in the hospital as we grieve alongside a friend. 
Sometimes it'll happen on a softball field as we play together. And it will certainly happen on our knees as we pray together. Disciple making isn't a one size fits all strategy. But one thing is certain. It will be something that happens intentionally. Nobody accidentally stumbles in to disciple making. Nobody accidentally stumbles into spiritual growth. So like Jesus, we are going to lay out a three-year strategy plan. Jesus knew he had limited time to gather his disciples, to train them, to equip them, because he knew that there was going to be a time that he would go back to be with the Father. So just like Jesus, we are going to roll out a three-year strategy plan that we're going to roll out in our community groups that's going to give us a scope and a sequence that will keep us on track and that will help us to become people who look, sound, and act more like Jesus every day. And it's going to be fun to watch that transformation take place. And in the same way, I believe God wants us to become fundamentally different people. Our next strategy is to be a culture-shaping church. In the same way, we want to be part of transforming downtown. We are so beautifully, strategically located right in the heart of downtown Salem. And that gives us an unbelievable opportunity to use our voice in a really positive way. We know that we face certain challenges and obstacles being a downtown church. We know that the park and the homeless situation has really kind of, it kind of forced its way upon us. We've had to deal with that. We know that our church sometimes gets vandalized. But what we're not going to do is shake our fists at the problem. We're going to lean into the problem. We're going to look for opportunities to become part of city council meetings. We're going to look for ways that we can um, engage our art community and our entertainment community. Right across the way, um, uh, progress has already begun on the renovation of that Nordstrom property. Downtown is changing and we want to be part of it. We want to use our voice in a positive way so that we can see this transformation take place. We are going to support our community. We are going to root for its success And we are going to pray that God will give us eyes to see people the way God does. And as we commit to that, we believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, as our lives are changed, we will see downtown Salem changed. And we will get to experience a better day because of the faithfulness of our church family. So Pastor Mark's going to come share with us some of the exciting things we have in terms of development. Six years ago, a little bit prior to that, actually, we were looking, and in fact, we flew a team in from Ogden, and we were looking at the renovation of this facility here. And we were looking at what it would it cost to renovate it, $10 million. What would it cost to level it and rebuild something? It was about $7 million at the time. Probably both of those numbers have doubled since that point. No sooner did we do that than we began to also talk with city uh, employees, the parking, etc., and codes. And we came to grips with this reality that um, if we didn't address our off-street parking problems, we wouldn't even be able to use this property. You have to have so many off-street parking spaces for per pew or per chair in your church. And if we lost one of the, if you will, free leases that we had with a building, if like, for example, they sold it, somebody died and they sold it, and the next organization didn't want to give us a free lease, we could be ceased, stopped right here. God opened that door and we bought North Block. It was a miracle that we got it. It really was. It was for the purpose of continuing to operate here. 
But we also began to look at other opportunities, whatever ways that we can, again, minister. And we tried the, the coffee shop, and then we did North Block, the, the Lube Center. Uh, Lube Center is still going, coffee shop sadly just wasn't making it and so we had to close it. It grieved my heart for two reasons. Number one, I loved the vision. Number two, I love coffee. But we still have that property over there and we're still utilizing it. We just bought the MAPS building and on one side is a place I'll probably not go. And that, not that I you know, don't like it, it's just I don't go and have my nails done. So... Um, I'm not going to go there. But on the other side, as I said earlier, it's, it's a ministry that works in community conflict. And it's not under our church, but they're, they're leasing from us. When we looked at the North Block, and you'll see there in your little manual, it gives us some ideas of what we've been doing on the North Block, current usage, but also some upcoming plans. And the fact is, is one of the greatest needs in our city is meeting space. But our young adults, YAM, meet in the Five Bay. And to be quite candid, they are some of the most patient, spectacular people in the world. Because the average person, if they went over there, were like, huh, we have to meet here? They dig it. But if we're going to let the community come in and say, hey, would you come and you want to use our space? They say, well, yeah, when you make it look a little better. So we're going to do that. We're going to invest some money into the five bay and also into the glass house for the purpose, not only of our church, but also for for the purpose of the community. And that's going to begin this year. We've already contacted some contract or some architects in that area. Over the coast, back in the 1960s, our church was in a really, really, I I would call just very growth-oriented season. And we bought, we bought some property in West Salem. We eventually sold that. But we bought this property called Seacrest. It's over in Agate Beach area, just two miles north of Newport. You'll see the price, 55,000 is what we paid for it in 1967. (laughs) That's like, wow, I cannot believe it. You can barely fill up your truck for that right now (laughs) so when we bought it we used it for a number of years and then when just before i came they put the church put it up for sale and i hear you know because i talked with you it was pretty contentious and we put it up for sale and we actually had an offer on it and i think god blew that up i think god blew that up because he heard some of your prayers and when I came, that was actually, when I was thinking about coming, that was one of their questions. What, you, what do you think we should do with Seacrest? And I said, fire the realtor. Get rid of the realtor. We don't need, I mean, why would you sell that property? You're never going to buy it again. And so we took it off the market and we've done nothing but invest in that property. And by the way, it invests in us. And we've done an electrical upgrade. We did a, a plumbing upgrade. And then we did a kitchen upgrade. I kind of laugh because the kitchen upgrade costs more than the original price. <laughs> and, and it's beautiful to be quite honest with you. It's just gorgeous. Look at the pictures. The folks that did it just did a remarkable job. And then we went into the great room and we did windows and flooring. And we're just doing a steady improvement of this property. And it is one of the most incredible tools that our church gets to use for community groups and for uh, our school. Capital Christian goes over and uses it three or four times a year. And for small groups, for leadership outside of our church even. 
This fall, we're going to tackle a campaign to raise the money for our bedrooms. Uh, Our bedrooms in the lodge are less than glorious. That's an exaggeration. On the, you know, understand that one. And so we need to invest in that. We're going to tear all of that out and we're going to put in six new rooms with another master bathroom. It's going to be really, really exciting. Up to this point, we haven't asked the church to put any money in Seacrest. It's just generated its own money. But we're to the point now where this project at a half a million dollars, we need to invest in it. And so we're going to be asking you to do that in September. It's going to be, again, one of the greatest tools our church gets to use in a beautiful area right on the beach. We have a lot of other projects going on. You're going to see a lot happening in the next three years of just, again, renewing this property, but also of Seacrest, because that's a tool that we want to keep as good as we can for the glory of God. And that takes your faithful Stewardship, And Steve's going to come and share some really, really upside and good and powerful information on our finances. Thank you, Pastor. The budget that uh, is being presented or recommended to you is on pages 21 and 22. I'm not going to address it specifically today just because we don't have the time to go through all the line items and and deal with that i'll i'll make a couple uh remarks uh part of it is to remind you that two weeks from today after each of the church services is our annual meeting business meeting and you'll be asked to vote on both the approval of the budget but also some candidates that we have for various committees and for our board and so just so that you're aware that that's coming up uh two weeks from this weekend um, and again, uh, I'm going to give you a really high-level view of things with, re- with regards to the church finances, some of it related to budget, some of it uh, about other things. If you have some questions directly to the budget, I'll be here after the service, or feel free to call me anytime in the church office. I'm more than happy to talk about our finances. And the reason I'm more than happy to talk about it is because it's just a great expression of faith from you. There's a lot of things to thank you about with regards to our finances. You've been generous with what God has given you, given you. Last year, not only did you give to the budget to to many other projects that we had and special offerings that we had, the giving last year was totaled 3.2 million dollars. You've also I had need to thank you for your commitment. We um, Your commitment, you were persistent and adaptable. When we had to change the way we took offering, we don't hand around the plate anymore like we used to a few years ago. You had to find our offering boxes. Some of you enjoyed coming in and harassing our office staff, and so you handed them your, your envelope. Some of you mailed it in, and many of you moved to online giving. All of those things were your persistence in giving and your commitment to that, and we appreciate that. And then another area, a number of people have shown their trust for the church and its future. In the last four years, we've received close to $1.6 million out of estates and wills from people. They've been gifts of all sizes, hundreds of dollars to six-figure numbers. 
but they've allowed us to do things buy the MAPS building, pay the mortgage on the north property without doing any hindrance to our operating of the day-to-day budget of our church. We haven't had to reduce it. We haven't had to make cuts to be able to pay for those other capital kinds of projects. And so those things are all blessings. And the consistency of your giving over the years has it allowed us to be able to plan better. And we can plan for things like what you've heard this today in terms of activities and movement into the city and movement into people's lives and we can plan on that on a consistent basis and and um, along with you we are able to share and rejoice in the successes for that so on a big picture basis what all happens here well it seems like on some weeks there's things going on here 24 7 in these buildings And uh, it's a busy place. You know, certainly we do a lot of church programs. We have Capital Christian School. We have Sunshine Daycare. We have the North Clock Block, including the First Lube. All of those are under the authority of of our Board of Deacons. If you take a look at the budget for each of those entities, the total budgets for all of everything we do is in excess of $4 million dollars. God's laid a really heavy responsibility on us. And uh, with your help, we've been able to meet those responsibilities. And we thank you for it. To accomplish all of that, we've got close to 60 employees, both part-time and full-time. And um, we rely, certainly rely on thousands of volunteers' hours from all of you. Whether it's on Wednesday night kids' programs, whether it's an upward no matter where it's at, Sunday mornings, in our, in our various programs, you make a difference. And it's beyond just the monetary piece that you give and share with us. So the church operating budget that you see in front of us, just a quick overview. 55% of that budget is made up of direct ministry costs. And that includes missionary support, support for short-term missions, church program costs, and that includes staff and supplies for those things. 28% of the budget is, about, is for administrative support. And 17% of the budget is to pay for facility costs, including maintenance, maintenance staff, and utilities. This budget this year is a big step of faith for all of us, as we had discussions at the board level, in the fact that in past years, Historically, our budget increases have been in the range of 2 to 4%. You know what inflation, there's, you see it in the news every day. Things are happening with prices. As we put it together, we are recommending a budget with an increase of just over 8%. That's significant. It's a faith walk. And we're asking you to take that walk with us as we go through the next fiscal year. And we will keep you informed regularly about how we do it. I'm, I'm excited about seeing how God is going to supply through you and how we march through this next year together as we grope with how to put really feet to the ground with the things that we've already talked about today, but also how God is going to supply you so that you can continue to give and sacrifice for the church. And we appreciate that. Mark?
in looking back, 1950 was the first time that I saw that we actually entertained as a church leaving. 1950, we began to discuss, should we stay here? They made a decision to stay here and they built. Then in the 80s, there was another huge focus. Even a property team put together looking at property elsewhere. In the 90s, we did it again. I'm thrilled that at every time they said, no, God has called us to live in the heart of the city. That's really our passion, that's our vision, is to be a light in this place, to be able to go over to that park, take your family there, that's one of my visions. To reach the 150, 60 new apartments that are going to go into Nordstrom's and I pray into J.C. Penney's and, and I pray something new into T.J. Maxx that in, in three to five years, we're all going to be sitting here talking about the complete revitalization of downtown Salem. That's my heart. And that's why I think God said, I want you to stay here. I want you to stay in the heart of the city. It's hard to love long distance. When we sing this last song, it, it, it just moved me last night when I sang it. Because about halfway through, you'll understand what I mean. It gets real personal. So join the vision. Because that's why I think God called you here. To be a church that reaches the city for Christ.